0: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, we will be learning more about the much-anticipated Surviving Sepsis Campaign International Guidelines for the Management of Septic Shock and Sepsis-Associated Organ Dysfunction in Children. The Surviving Sepsis Campaign is a joint collaboration of the Society of Critical Care Medicine and the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine, committed to reducing mortality and morbidity from sepsis and septic shock worldwide. And for nearly two decades, we have focused mostly on the adult guidelines. Now, Scott L. Weiss, M.D., is here to discuss the new Children's Sepsis Guideline, recently published in the February 2020 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. To access the full article, visit survivingsepsis.org. Dr. Weiss has served as the SCCM-appointed Vice Chair of the Surviving Sepsis Campaign Guidelines Task Force. He is also a pediatric intensivist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Welcome, Dr. Weiss.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Great to have you. Uh, Scott, would you start by talking about the major differences between the new uh, surviving sepsis campaign pediatric guidelines and the prior American College of Critical Care Medicine guidelines uh, that were published in 2017?
1: Absolutely. Thank you for the question. So, Um, There's really, I think, three main differences between the prior ACCM guidelines and the uh, current uh, Pediatric Surviving Sepsis Campaign guidelines. Um, The first is related to methodology, the second is related to the goal of the document, and the third are key differences in recommended management steps for the care of children with sepsis and septic shock. So with regards to methodology, the prior ACCM guidelines really utilize more of a narrative review without a, uh, making graded recommendations that were um, explicitly linked to um, transparent reviews of the literature, um, and that they didn't include combined meta-analyses of a variety of different studies that have been done as an example. So sometimes it was a little hard to distinguish which recommendations were uh, very well supported by the literature and which represented more of a consensus opinion from the panel. So for the current pediatric Surviving Sepsis Campaign guidelines, we uh, try to use the more explicit methodology using the GRADE approach, which provides slightly better transparency in the synthesis and the analysis of the available evidence, including when the panel utilized both direct and indirect studies related to children to arrive at the uh, 77 statements included in the uh, in the guidelines. The second difference is related to the goals of the document. So the the ACCM guidelines really were intended to provide an algorithmic approach uh, to the care of children with sepsis and septic shock, whereas the Pediatric Surviving Sepsis Campaign guidelines were intended to really guide best practice, uh, rather than to establish a single treatment algorithm. Instead, the panel's goal was really to uh, provide general guidelines that the that they intended individual healthcare systems to then implement of those guidelines using a a protocol that really considered um, a variety of local factors such as differences in workflow, resource availability and patient case mix uh, that made the most sense uh, for that setting. So it's intended that the care may vary a little bit across healthcare systems, uh, but all are sort of focused on implementing a common set of uh, best practice uh, recommendations. And then the third difference is related to key differences in recommended management steps for children with sepsis and septic shock. So and there are really five main management differences. So um, the ACCM guidelines uh, recommended early and aggressive fluid resuscitation for all patients with septic shock. While the current pediatric surviving sepsis campaign guidelines really distinguish the Uh, potential differences in the balance of risk and benefits of fluid bolus therapy depending on the setting in which um, the management is taking place. So as an example, um, there are three recommendations about fluid bolus therapy. For those children who are cared for in settings where intensive care is readily available, fluid bolus is recommended. And that's largely based on observational data. Whereas if if you're caring for a child in our healthcare systems where intensive care is not readily available, um, in resource-poor areas, there's a recommendation to avoid fluid bolus therapy if the patient is not hypotensive and do gentle uh, fluid resuscitation if the patient is hypotensive. And that recommendation is based on a high-quality randomized controlled trial that was performed in low resource settings. A second management difference is uh, the ACCM had recommended epinephrine as first-line vasoactive therapy whereas the Surviving Sepsis Campaign acknowledges that there's no clear evidence that epinephrine or norepinephrine are, can be prioritized as the um, recommended first-line therapeutic, although both epi and norepi are recommended over dopamine. A third management difference is that the pediatric surviving sepsis campaign guidelines de-emphasize the clinical differentiation between warm and cold shock based solely on uh, clinical exam findings. And that was a, a core element of the ACCM uh, prior guidelines, but there's really insufficient evidence um, and actually some evi- uh, insufficient evidence that clinical signs alone give you an accurate assessment of warm versus cold shock and actually some increased evi- increasing uh, data that suggests that, uh, that more multimodal monitoring, such as incorporating point of care ultrasound at the bedside can actually help to better distinguish physiology and help to guide the use of vasoactive therapies better than just clinical signs of warm versus cold shock. And then finally, a fourth important management difference is that um, previously ACCM recommended hydrocortisone for children with fluid, refractory, and catecholamine-resistant septic shock, whereas the uh, Surviving Sepsis Campaign Panel acknowledges that they're really equipoise in the community about whether steroids are effective under those circumstances. Um, And so there's a revised recommendation in these guidelines to either use or not use steroids, and either is deemed acceptable uh, for children with um, food refractory meat catecholamine resistant shock.
0: That was an excellent summary. Um, How about talking about the major differences between the new pediatric guidelines uh, and the adult guidelines?
1: Sure. I think it's first important to highlight some of the similarities. Um, So similar to the most recent adult guidelines uh, from 2016, the new pediatric guidelines also recommend uh, implementation of systematic screening for early recognition of children who have sepsis. They uh, they both emphasize early resuscitation and treatment, including um, early antibiotics and source control. Third, they uh, focus on various aspects of uh, hemodynamic support uh, using um, monitoring that's dynamic rather than static. Fourth, um, there's priority for focusing on ensuring adequate nutrition, including early administration of enteral nutrition for uh, patients with sepsis. And finally, um, ventilator management really follows the principles about ARDS management as it did in adults and as we recommended in, in children. Some of the differences are, uh, I think one of the most important differences is that the pediatric panel really was careful to try to differentiate between those children who present with septic shock as a clinical syndrome uh, that should be rapidly recognized by clinical exam findings without the need for ancillary testing compared to those with suspected sepsis without shock uh, for whom additional testing to assess for the presence of infection and to identify organ dysfunction may be needed. And the reason that was an important differentiation is that uh, in particular for time to antibiotic therapy. So for children, the panel recommended that if you present with shock, that you receive antibiotics within one hour of shock recognition. But for those children who present with suspected sepsis but without shock, there's an allowance of up to three hours so that the clinician can perform an expedited diagnostic evaluation. And these recommendations were really focused on uh, two pediatric studies that together showed a possible reduction in mortality when antibiotics were administered within one hour if shock was present uh, with a combined odds ratio of 0.77 and an upper confidence, uh, 95% confidence interval limit of 1.08, so it didn't quite meet statistical significance but certainly trended in in a way that suggested um, antibiotics within an hour were likely to be helpful. Uh, But the panel also acknowledged that there was incremental risk of harm with delays in antibiotics that only became statistically significant across these two studies after three hours. So we feel that that by differentiating between shock as an emergent condition uh, that should be clinically recognized and requires rapid therapy, including early antibiotics, is slightly different from children with suspected sepsis, but without shock, for whom an expedited diagnostic evaluation uh, could be taken to really try to confirm or shore up that diagnosis to try to reduce unnecessary um, antibiotic therapy and unnecessary uh, resuscitation for a condition they may not have.
0: Thank you for that very clear discussion. Can you talk about the challenges for implementing these guidelines? You made reference to the difference between resource-limited settings and more resource-rich settings. What are the challenges for implementing these guidelines according to different settings?
1: It's a great question. Probably the most important challenge is that any set of comprehensive guidelines, including this one, is probably not perfectly applicable or even possible to implement in all settings, Uh, because in some healthcare systems, they just don't have everything that is recommended. So um, the panel specifically sought with a few exceptions to really consider the evidence and to make recommendations about best practices without consideration of the availability of healthcare resources. And so where there were data Um, that specifically contextualized uh, the evidence, uh, such as, for example, fluid bolus therapy, Um, the panel did try to recommend different approaches depending on the healthcare setting. However, for the majority of cases, this contextualization was not available in the literature, and so a a single best practice statement was was made, um, and um, the panel intends that individual healthcare systems will work to determine how best to implement all of these guidelines in the context of of the availability of resources they have access to. Um, We realize that could be a challenge, and so the panel has convened a working group that is actively working to um, provide additional guidance about operationalizing uh, these guidelines in lower resource settings. Uh, And those recommendations will come out separately uh, that will hopefully provide some additional opportunities for um, clinicians practicing in in low-resource settings to um, help them to operationalize these guidelines in their practice.
0: The adult guidelines um, suggest a bundle of care that should be, um, all, all elements of which should be delivered within the context of our early management. Is there a bundle of care for the pediatric guidelines? So uh, we
1: did not specifically seek to provide a bundle um, in, the, um, in the sense of a group of recommendations that should always be uh, implemented for all patients at all times as part of the initial scope of work from this panel. However, we have, the panel has worked to put together a pictorial algorithm that outlines the key uh, recommendations for resuscitation of children with sepsis and septic shock. And, so, and as part of that, uh, we have outlined six key management elements that uh, should be completed for most patients most of the time. Those six elements are the following. The first is to obtain IV or uh, intraosseous uh, access. The second is to collect the blood culture. The third is to start empiric broad spectrum antibiotics. The fourth is to measure lactate from the blood. The fifth is to admit a, administer fluid boluses or a bolus if shock is present, depending on the uh, resource setting in which you're practicing, as I mentioned earlier. And the sixth is to start a vasoactive agent if shock persists after completing fluid resuscitation where appropriate. And so those six core elements essentially form what could be considered to be a bundle, and we recommend those elements all be completed um, for most patients within one hour of recognition of septic shock and within three hours of children who present with um, suspected sepsis but without Uh, clinical evidence of shock. We stopped short of calling this a specific bundle because we were slightly concerned that a bundle has the implication that these elements should all be completed for all patients all of the time. And we recognize that with the um, heterogeneity of the patients that we care for um, and some of the challenges and variability in healthcare um, settings in which these patients are treated, that it may not be appropriate to do all of those things all of the time. The resuscitation algorithm that contains those six elements is available on the Surviving Sepsis Campaign website.
0: I think this has been a mammoth effort and will be a huge contribution uh, to the care of children with severe sepsis and septic shock. Uh, and I, I really think you've done a wonderful job of walking us through. Um, the new guidelines. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make?
1: Uh, no, I just thank you for the opportunity to uh, to highlight some of the, the key points. And uh, I think uh, one of the real benefits of, of the Surviving Sepsis campaign is that um, these recommendations will be reiterated every uh, four to five years so that as new studies and new evidence comes on board, the latest recommendations Uh, can be made that reflect the the best available evidence.
0: Thank you very much for talking with us today, Scott. We have been talking with Dr. Scott Weiss from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia about the new Surviving Sepsis Campaign Pediatric Guidelines published in Pediatric Critical Care Medicine in February 2020. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care Podcast. For the iCritical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker.
2: Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM, is Professor Emeritus of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York. She is a former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. She is currently serving as Associate Editor of Critical Care Medicine and Senior Associate Editor of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Join or renew your membership with SCCM. The only multi professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Contact a customer service representative at 847 827 6888 or visit sccm.org/slash membership for more information. The I Critical Care podcast is the copyrighted material of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion or endorsement on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, its officers, volunteers, or members, or that of the podcast commercial supporter.